Good morning, folks. It is uh, really a joy to be with you this morning. And I'll say this in gray a lot, so I'll say it here. There's little that encourages me personally as much as hearing God's people sing like you did this morning. So thank you for singing with all your heart, Mel and the team. Thank you for leading us like you did. So why don't you let this group know that you really appreciate them and the work they put in to lead us like that. It's awesome. I don't know if you really listen really close to the song we just sang, but if the song we just sang is not absolutely true, we are absolutely fools to be here this morning. I mean, right? Otherwise, we're worshiping a dead man 2,000 years ago that lived and did some cool stuff and said some really neat things, but we're wasting our time here if what we just sang about is not true and that power is living in you today to live differently and be differently in the world because of Christ. So thank you for that great truth we sang. Let me invite you to go and take your Bibles. And if you don't have one, there's a paperback copy right under your seat. I invite you to take that one if you'd like. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. So you can just take that thing home with you. Uh, you can come every week and get a free Bible if you want to. But go ahead and turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. And I know there's some blank stares on some of you. You're thinking, is that a book of the Bible? Where is that? It's probably in the nice, white, clean pages of your Bible over in the Old Testament. Psalms, Proverbs, keep going toward the New Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. It's a pretty big book. Just find your place there, and we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel. If you are a guest, maybe haven't been around Tri-Cities in a while here or in Gray or whatever, uh, we're walking through the Bible this year, the story we're calling it, uh, because we want to know the God of the Bible. And we don't want to just know the God of the Bible of the portions that we're all familiar with. Because it's real easy to come up here and walk you through sections of the Bible that we've all heard and we all know and we're all familiar with. But if that's all we do, we never really grow in our understanding of God who has revealed Himself through this book. And not just the, little, not just the parts we're familiar with, the whole Bible. So that's why we're walking through the entire Bible this year. Many of you are reading through the Bible story reading plan, talking about it in your study groups, and that's absolutely fabulous in life groups and things like that. So Ezekiel chapter 1 is where we're going to be in just a minute. So you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, Let me ask you a question I want you to think about and ponder on this morning. What is it that motivates you to do what you do? What is it that motivates you to do the things that you do in your life? The dictionary says that motivation is the reason one has for behaving or acting in a certain way. What motivates you? Some of you are here this morning. uh, All of you are here this morning that I'm talking to. But you're here this morning. What motivated you to be here this morning? Some of you are asking that very question right now. Why am I here this morning? Some of you are going to go out to eat after this time is over. What's going to motivate you to go out to eat? Well, probably hunger. Some of you may go to a Mexican restaurant. If you're really cheap, you'll go to McDonald's. Wherever you go, you're going to maybe go out to eat afterwards. Some of you here are married. What motivated you to seek a spouse? Some of you are highly motivated and you really want to be married. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. You found out you could find a spouse at church. I don't know. What motivates you to do what you do? Some of you are in college. You're you're pursuing advancement in a career and you're trying to advance yourself and learn and 
provide a better job for you and your family in the future. But I want you to think for a minute, what is it that motivates you to do what you do? Most of the motivations that I just mentioned for you and for us flow out of some type of need that you have. See, we are finite beings. We're motivated most of the time by need. I go to eat because I need food. I I, I pursue companionship. I need companionship. I, I go to college because I need to advance myself. I need to learn. I need to grow. We're driven by need. Now, spin that a little bit. I want you to think about the infinite God in heaven who has never needed anything in his life, right? What motivates God? Why does God do what God does? Or even sometimes in our life, why is it that God doesn't do some things we really wish He would do? See, don't don't fall into the trap of thinking that God is ever motivated by need. God has never had a need in His life, right? He's infinite, needless. So why then does God behave, act, and do the things He does? In this world that we live in. Ezekiel answers that question for us. What I want to do is quickly give you a little bit of overview of the book of Ezekiel. So you know what we're getting ready to read. Because I'm going to tell you right out front as a communicator and a preacher. There's some tough things in the book of Ezekiel we're going to wrestle through this morning. But then when we get to the end and we get to the the main idea. It might be a game changer for some of you in this room. What is it that motivates God to do what he does? Well, Ezekiel is a prophet of God. He's one of those guys that speaks on behalf of God. Ezekiel lived about 2,600 years ago. He lived during a time that was one of those historical times in the history of the world. There were... There was the nation of Israel that God called out to be his people. That nation of Israel had a civil war. They split into northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. Northern kingdom Israel had been wiped out by the Assyrians by the time Ezekiel's on the scene. Southern kingdom Judah with their capital Jerusalem. There's an army marching toward Jerusalem. They're wanting to overthrow that city, overthrow that nation. The Babylonians are coming. Ezekiel lives during that incredible historical time in the history of the world and Ezekiel lives in a time around 597 if you're historical above 597 BC Babylon comes and they siege the city of Jerusalem now all this is going somewhere so I want you to hang with me in those days when a foreign enemy enemy would come they would lay siege to the city they would they would They would basically cordon off the city and starve out the people in the city. That's what the Babylonians are doing. 597, they show up, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, and they deport or exile a bunch of people from Judah. Ezekiel's one of them. Imagine a foreign army coming in and ransacking your home and building a siege around your home, coming in, getting your family, carrying them out, and carrying you and your family off to a foreign land thousands of miles away. That's that's what's happening in the time of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is carried into exile. Daniel is carried into exile. Ever heard of that guy? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe you heard of them. They're carried into exile into Babylon. So to these people who are living in a foreign land, taken away from their home, wondering, God, what in the world is happening? Ezekiel is there, and God speaks through Ezekiel to these somewhere around 10, 11, 12,000 Judeans who have been carried away from their home in Babylon. 
Now, if you've read through Ezekiel, maybe you read through it this week in your reading time, and you've got to be really honest. My wife and I, Jennifer, were talking about that. There's some stuff you come to in Ezekiel, and you go, I have no idea what's going on here. This is weird stuff. God called Ezekiel. God, God really desires to communicate to these people. He has a message for them. And I want you to know this morning, God will go to any lengths... Any links to get your attention and to communicate when he has a message for you. He has a message for the people, the exiles. He calls Ezekiel to do some weird stuff. He calls Ezekiel to go into his home and live as a recluse for a period of time. He calls Ezekiel to shave his head at one time. He calls Ezekiel to literally lay on his side for over a year and people came in and heard his message. This, Ezekiel's wife dies. And God says, you're not going to mourn for her. Don't mourn for her. Weird stuff. Ezekiel goes into his house, he locks himself in, and he literally digs a tunnel from his house and comes about in the middle of a street in Babylon. Why? Because God told him to. God's communicating something through all of this. God gave Ezekiel visions of things. Divine revelations from God that he wanted Ezekiel then to take back to his people and communicate. This morning, I'm going to very briefly show you three of those visions quickly and how they apply to our lives. Very important for us this morning, Ezekiel chapter 1. Vision number 1 is this. God reveals his glory here in chapter 1 of Ezekiel, okay? So everybody with me? If you're with me, say hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, that's a real churchy word. Like be with me, say amen, even church here. Okay, awesome. All right, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what the book says. Now, it came about in the 30th year, on the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Kabar among the exiles. Context, Ezekiel is an exile. He's among exiles. That the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. God is going to reveal something to Ezekiel that's incredible. Verse 3, I'm reading on ahead. It says, The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest. Ezekiel was a prophet. He spoke for God. He was also a priest. He taught the people of God. And there the hand of the Lord came upon him. God's about to do something very powerful here in Ezekiel's life. Verse 4. And I looked. So this is Ezekiel who's going to attempt to describe what he sees. He says in verse 4, I looked and behold a storm wind was coming from the north and a great cloud with fire was flashing forth continually and a bright light was around it. Hang with me. And in the midst, something like glowing metal was in the midst of the fire. So Ezekiel sees this incredible vision of a fire and a, and a wind coming from the north and something burning with intense heat. Verse 5, Within it, there were figures resembling living beings. So he sees this vision, and within this vision, there's these four living beings. And this was their appearance. They had human form, verse 6. Each of them had four faces and four wings. And the world is going on. Skip ahead to verse 10. And as for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion. The right, they had the face of a bull. On the left was the face of an eagle. It's just getting crazier and crazier. There's this vision that's just beyond description of what Ezekiel is seeing. Hang with me, verse 15. Now as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was a wheel 
on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. Each of these rode on some kind of unicycle-looking thing. It was this big wheel that they were riding on. He said, what does that mean? Hang tight, I'm getting there. Verse 17, whenever they moved, they moved in any of the four directions without turning as they moved. Verse 18, as for their rims, some of you good old boys are real excited to know the Bible talks about rims. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't talk about gun racks though, sorry. So their rims, they were lofty and awesome and the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about them. So there's these living beings and these living beings have different faces and they have these rims on which they're mobile throughout the earth and they have these eyes that they can see and know everything that's going on on the earth. Verse 22, jump ahead. Now over their heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like an awesome gleam of crystal. He looked above this vision and there was this infinite expanse. He said it looked like crystal. It spread out over their heads and I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty. The sound of tumult and the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. So there's incredible sights here that Ezekiel's taking in. There's incredible sounds. He says it sounds like the voice of the Almighty. There's colors and there's things that are just incredibly beautiful in Ezekiel's sight. And then he gets down to verse 28. Jump on down there. The Bible says this. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. Now the rainbow has showed up in the Bible before. Showing up here again for a reason. Hang on to that. So was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Now I get it. If you're having your quiet time, and you're spending time with God, and you're reading through Ezekiel chapter 1, you get some of this. You've got to kind of push the Bible back. You say, God, what is happening here? What does all this mean? I mean, we just happen to be people of the book, and we believe that God's Word is true, and there's nothing in there by accident. Anytime God reveals something like this, He's revealing something about His character and about His nature. God, what is this all about? Keep reading. Verse 28. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the, if you write your Bible, circle this, the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel comes back and he communicates this to the exiles and he tells them all his visions. He said, and what God allowed me to see was the very glory of God. You say, how did Ezekiel respond when he saw that? End of verse 28. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking to me. As God revealed his glory here to Ezekiel, Ezekiel's only response as God was revealing truth about himself. Ezekiel, and remember, Ezekiel's a priest. Ezekiel knows a lot about God. But he'd never seen anything like this. And he falls down on his face before God. So for you and me, what in the world is going on here to these exiles who were far from home, uncertain future, their hearts have been drifting, God reveals Himself. God manifests Himself. And the word that the Bible uses, is what I want to talk about for just a minute, is the word glory. Anybody who has any church experience, you've ever walked into a church, heard any preacher, read anything, has at least heard the word glory. What does the word glory mean? And what is God doing here? Well, the word glory literally means a heaviness 
or a weightiness. It, it used to be used of an economic term to weigh out money. If something had great glory, it meant it had great weight, and therefore it had great value. The word glory is the idea of value, of worth, of significance. So in your Bible, in history, from Genesis to Revelation, there are occasions after occasions after occasions where the infinite God steps into creation and makes himself known and manifests his glory, his worth, his weight, his significance, his value. So the word glory, and I want you to get this, is, can be defined as this, the visible manifestation of the excellencies of God's character. God chooses to make himself known to you. Do you know that? You don't go seeking for God. The Bible says no man goes seeking for God. God chooses to make himself known. Here to Ezekiel, he manifests his excellencies, something about his character. John Piper says the glory of God is God going public with who he is. And there's a challenge in all of creation that the infinite God wants us as finite beings to understand Him and know Him. So He manifests Himself. He reveals Himself. He reveals His glory. That's exactly what He does here in the life of Ezekiel. You read this vision and you've got to understand some things about the nature of God. You read this and you learn God's not like us. (laughs) If you read this at all the visions, at all the images and the beings and the wheels and the eyes all about you, realize as God reveals Himself, God's not like you and God's not like me. Right? That's a good thing. There's an infinite difference between you and God. You also see here that God is not limited. The wheels here are a symbol to these exiles who thought God is only limited to work in Jerusalem back in the temple. They're thousands of miles from the temple. Listen, God is not limited by space and time in any way whatsoever. And you need to know as you read this vision, God is never limited by circumstances, ever. The Bible shows here something about God. These eyes that see through and out. There is nothing God does not know. There is nothing God has to learn. There is nothing God will learn. There's nothing about you. There's nothing going on in you. There's nothing in your future. There's nothing that you are wrestling with right now that God is not fully and completely aware of. He has all knowledge. Infinite knowledge. He reveals that. And to those exiles who felt like they had been forgotten by God, they needed to hear that. Some of you are here and you feel like you're living in a foreign land. As believers, we are living in a foreign land. But you need to go, God is infinitely aware and perfectly aware of exactly where you are. Exactly what situation is going on in your life. God is revealing His glory, His manifest presence to Ezekiel and to these exiles and to us. His greatness is unchanged by circumstance. He is always faithful to his promise. Ezekiel looked and saw this rainbow. The rainbow harkens back to Genesis when God flooded the earth and gave a rainbow as a symbol of God always keeps his promise. If you're in a situation and you're barely hanging on and you're thinking, I don't know if God's going to do what he said he's going to do. The vision of Ezekiel is for you to know God always keeps his promise. God can't lie. So to all these exiles and these people there in Babylon, God reveals himself to Ezekiel and then to the exiles. And how did did Ezekiel respond? I love this. He just fell on his face. I mean, he is overwhelmed by the presence of God. Let me ask you something, child of God. 
you cannot manufacture this. We cannot drum it up with the right kind of music or the right kind of lights or the right kind of stage or the right kind of speaker. When is the last time you were literally taken aback by the awareness of the presence of God? Maybe you were in His Word. And, and I'm not talking about something hokey. I'm not talking about something mystical. But God through His Spirit. And you were just humbled before God. Ezekiel, I love this, Ezekiel was a priest. Ezekiel knew a lot about God. Ezekiel was the guy you'd go to and say, man, help me understand this, explain this. He knew a lot about God. Ezekiel had never seen anything like this. Here's what that means for you and me. God is not manageable by you and me. He is beyond anything we can even and it also speaks to you and I that anytime we want to drift over into what I call theological arrogance, this destroys this to think I've got it all in control. I've got God all figured out. To the priest who thought he understood, God reveals himself and he is humbled by the glory and the greatness of God. And then God in great kindness says, stand up on your feet that I may speak with you. God in his transcendent glory steps down and touches Ezekiel, takes him and says, stand up. I want to speak with you. Don't you love that? That the God who holds all things together, who created all things that is, loves you and wants to speak with you. Love that. So Ezekiel's overwhelmed by this vision of the glory of God. It's a big deal. It's what drives the entire book of Ezekiel. Now, hold on to that. Let me show you the second one. This one's a lot quicker, and then we're going to apply it to your life. The second vision, flip on up to Ezekiel chapter 4. So remember, Ezekiel's sharing all this to the exiles in Babylon, and he, and he sees this vision. Now he's kind of back in the earthly sense, and God comes to him again. Chapter 4, verse 3. The Bible says, God stretched out the form of a hand and caught me by the lock of my head. I'm in 4.3. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court. What does that mean? Well, the temple... In Jerusalem, which represented kind of the center of worship, if you were a Jew in that day, Ezekiel is taken by a vision to see the temple and what's going on in the temple. And God reveals some incredible things that are happening in the temple to help us understand why God did what He said. It does what He does. Verse 5. says, Son of man, raise your eyes now toward the north. So I raised my eyes to the north. And behold, near the altar gate was this idol of jealousy. Say, well, what does all that mean? He's taken to the temple that was to be the place of worship of the one true God by the people of God and sees just incredible idolatry. He sees some things there in the temple by nature of a vision. I'm not going to take time to read it, but 7 through 13, he sees these priests that were conducting this secretive worship service to these graven images and these carved images right there in God's temple. Verses 14 and 15, you see these women who are literally mourning and worshiping this Babylonian god, Tammuz. 16 and 17, you see the leaders, the elders of the nation of Israel and Judah. They were worshiping the sun and turning their backs on the one true God. And you see this, and Ezekiel is to look down and he's behold this, and it's to make him sick. That the people of God who were given every opportunity to know the one true God had drifted and their hearts had exchanged. Now watch this, this is what's important for you and me had exchanged the glory of God for lesser glory. And we're going to get to this in your life and my life in just a minute. You and I are created ultimately for the glory of God. 
It is in the glory of God that we have our most joy, our greatest satisfaction, our greatest meaning. But in our fallenness, the world that's around us tries to continue to pull us into lesser glories that do not satisfy. I'll get to that in a minute. That's what was going on in the temple. That's what had been happening for years and years and years and years of the people of Judah. So how does God respond? God's got to do something. God can't let that continue. So why does he do what he does? Chapter 9, verse 9. I'll just read it to you really quick. Then, then God said, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great. The land is filled with blood, and the city is full of perversion, they said. The Lord has forsaken the land. The Lord does not see. Verse 10. But as for my eye, my eye will not have pity, nor will I spare. But I will bring their conduct upon their own heads. This is what they're pursuing. This is what they want. All right, I'll give it to them. They want this empty glory. They can take it. And then, chapter 11, verse 23 says this. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23. What in the world happens in the city of Jerusalem? The glory of God departs. The glory of God leaves the city that was created for His glory, leaves the temple that was created for His glory, and the people are left to themselves in a sense. Here comes Babylon. Babylon comes in and takes them in exile. You say, God, why? And here's back to our question. God, why would you do something like that? The answer, you don't have to look it up. The answer is Isaiah 42, verse 8. And this is where we're going this morning for application. Isaiah, do we have that one? Yeah. God says this. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. So here's what I want you to get from this second vision. First vision, God's glory is just beyond description. Second vision, God takes his glory very seriously. And when the people of God begin to distort his glory and twist his glory and settle for something of lesser glory, God lifted the glory, if you will, from the city of Jerusalem. God takes his glory very, very seriously. Now, Vision number three, and I'm going to apply it to our lives. All right, it's going to be a game changer. Vision number three is this. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36 if you want to follow along. I know this is a lot of background. I know it's a lot of material, so hang with me. We're going somewhere with all this. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. So 10,000, 12,000 people in exile in Babylon. They've been there. They're thinking, yes, one day we're going to go back to the temple. God's going to take us back. They're, they're waiting, they're waiting. And about 10 years after being there, Ezekiel says someone comes from Jerusalem and they give a report that now in 586 B.C., one of the most historical events in the history of the world, the Babylonians came in and they literally now they've torn down the walls, they've leveled the temple, the city of Jerusalem, there's, there's nothing left. And the people in exile, they get report that their blessed, glorious city of Jerusalem is now leveled. And following that report, God speaks a third reality to them. And I want you to hear this. This is some of the most encouraging words in all of the Bible. Here was a people who were living in a land that wasn't theirs. Here was a people who were in that land because their heart had drifted. Their heart had strayed. They'd been carried by this foreign power. Here they are in Babylon. And now, third vision, God is going to give them a message through Ezekiel. Verse 24 says this. Ezekiel 36, 24. God speaking, I will take you from the nations. 
I will gather you from all the lands and I will bring you into your own land. Imagine hearing that. There's going to be a day that I'm going to gather you, my people, back together. I'm going to take you from those lands where you've drifted into and been carried off and I'm going to take you back to your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. You're going to be restored and all this junk that you filled your life with. I'm going to cleanse you from all of that. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that's soft, not a heart that's so hard, and a heart of stone that doesn't even listen, that's not sensitive to the things of God. Listen, I'm making you new from the inside out. And by the way, that's the way God works. Christianity is not external, outside in. It is God changing you from the inside out. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my word, my statutes. Be careful to observe all my ordinances. Verse 28, you will live in the land that I have given your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. And if you're there and you're in exile and you hear that, you go, yes, God is going to take us back. God is going to restore us, redeem us and deliver us. That was partially fulfilled in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's ultimately going to be fulfilled yet future. There's a future for the nation of Israel. There's a future for God's people collectively. But here's my question for you and me. Ready? Hang on. Here's where we've been going all morning. God, why'd you do that? God, why did you take your people? Why would you give your people now a new heart and a new life and a new future and take them back? And a lot of things may be going through your head of why God does what he does. You may have been a Christian for 30 or 40 years and you think you understand what motivates God. You may be new to this thing called Christianity. I want you to know the God of the Bible so you know why he does what he does. He answers it right here in verse 22. He says... Therefore, Ezekiel, say to the house of Israel, house of Judah, same thing here. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. What? Let's be honest. You read that and you go, well, I, it's not all about me. God, you're not taking us from Babylon back to Jerusalem because it's all about me. Hang on. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations, hold on to this, then the nations, then the world will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When I prove myself holy in their sight. Now stop right there. I want you to get your mind around this. Because for some of you, this is an absolute game changer. Why does the God of heaven ever do what he does? What is the ultimate driving motivation behind the God who has no needs? The God who needs nothing. He lacks nothing. Why does he do what he does? He says here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel wants you to know it is ultimately for his own sake. It is ultimately for his own glory in the world. Now hang on. That's all. Take off our church faces for a minute and be real honest because some of you hear that and you go, that is the most selfish thing I've ever heard. 
It's selfish. Keep reading. Hang on. Ezekiel 38. I'm just going to read this to you. Ezekiel 38, 23. God says, I will magnify myself. I will sanctify myself. I will make myself known in the sight of many nations that they will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 39. My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. I will not let my holy name be profaned or drugged through the mud, paraphrase, anymore. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Seventy times in the book of Ezekiel, God says, I act, I do, I don't do, whatever it is, that the world, that the nations may know that I, Here's the reality for you and me this morning. This is a game changer. God is zealous. God is most motivated by his own glory and his own character to be clearly seen among the nations above the glory of anything else or anyone else. And God acts. And God does. And God doesn't do. That the world will see clearly his glory and his greatness. Pastor Mike, that still seems very selfish to me. Right? Let's be honest. You, you can be honest. We're in church. How can, that, how can that be right? Does that not seem incredibly odd and self-serving to you when... Limited beings try to promote ourselves, us. If someone in this room stands up and says, I want you all to know I'm the greatest. <laughs> and I want you all to follow me and I have all the answers. And you're thinking, no, you don't. But God, you're, you're a limited created being. We say that is unjust and that is self-centered. We don't like being around self-centered people, right? Because we all are limited beings. But when an infinite being that has no limitations and is the ultimate source of life, joy, meaning, peace, purpose, holds himself out to the world, we say yes, because that is just and right. If God hides himself from the world and doesn't reveal himself, we say that is not just, that is not right. Say, I'm still not getting it. All right, hang on. I want to give you an illustration, all right? Here's my illustration. As best I can, this is limited, but I'm going to do my best I can to give you an illustration. One reason is because I'm really thirsty. And another reason is I want to give you an illustration. So I want you to imagine something. All right. <clears throat> this is the best water I could find at Food City for the illustration this morning. Okay, so Fuji water. Fuji water says natural artesian water. On the back it says this is the earth's finest water. That's what it says. I got it at Food City. How about that? <laughs> now let's just go with that for a minute. Okay, now listen. Let's imagine that you own a company and you bottle what is truly the finest water on the planet. It comes from a single source on earth. It has healing, cleansing power. If you have cancer and you drink that water, you are immediately healed. If you suffer from anything, any wound, you drink that water and you're immediately healed. When you drink this water, it is life-giving, it is nourishing, it is restorative. And man, you've got this water. Let's say you have that water. But as a company, you say, you know what? We're not going to promote that water. We're going to promote food club water. That's that's food city brand that comes out of the Johnson City Municipal 
I even added a little dirt to it for effect. See that? Now watch this. Let's say you're that company and all you do is you constantly hold out this water. Would you say, I was just being humble. You would say, that's unjust. Why would you keep, listen, why would you keep from the world that which is the only source of life and healing and joy and purpose? Why would you do that? God won't do that. Because He is so holy and He is so just. He is zealous that what He is going to hold out and what He is going to keep known in the world is that which is infinite and perfect and truly life-giving. Himself. Watch this. And anything that is held out of lesser is like drinking food club water. <laughs> doesn't satisfy. doesn't give joy. It is limited. And it is exchanging something of limited value for something that is priceless and of eternal value. God himself. God is committed to you and the world knowing him and he will do whatever he needs to do and in fact it is the motivating factor behind all that he does is that the world that by the way is starving for living water knows and sees clearly that there is only one source of living water and it's a whole lot better than Fiji water it's Jesus himself see that so when you read something like this, you think, okay, I, maybe I get that. That if God were to hold out and promote and be zealous for anything other than Himself, He would be robbing the world of that which gives life and gives meaning and gives value. Now you're on to something. That God does what He does for His own glory and for His own namesake. Think about this. Who else or what else in all of creation would God promote in all their glory that would be greater than himself? Nothing. Nothing. So with that in mind, I want to give you a few application points this morning and we'll wrap up our time. If that is the case and we exist and God does all that he does because of his glory, the manifestation of who he is. I'm going to ask you four or five questions and then I'm going to give you the answers this morning. You can write down these verses if you want. This is going to be very quick. Number one, if that's true, why then, why then, God, did you create anything? Answer, write this down. Psalm 19.1. What does the Bible say? Do we have that one? The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. God, why did you create Pluto? It's maybe not a planet. We don't know if it's a planet or not. Why did you create Pluto? Why did you create Jupiter? Why did you create all the expanse of the universe that baffles scientists in all their intellect to even begin to grasp it? One reason. They are telling of the glory of God. It's a game changer. God, why did you create people? Why did you create humanity? Why did you create me? Why did you create men and women and all of that? Here's your answer. Isaiah 43, 7. Put it up. Ready? Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my what? Glory. You exist for 
the glory of God. Meaning, you find your ultimate joy, your ultimate satisfaction, your ultimate meaning and purpose by wrestling with the reality. I have been created for the glory of God, and knowing Him is the only thing that will satisfy. Don't settle for cheap substitutes to the glory of God. Every one of you in this room, by the way, are glory junkies. You know what that means? That means you're created to behold and to be attracted to things that are glorious. Did you know that? Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? My favorite place on the planet is Zion National Park, Yosemite National Park, the Grand Canyon. You step to the edge of it and you look at it and it's massive expanse and you are taken into it. You are drawn into it. Why? Because you realize at that moment it is bigger and greater than I am. There is a degree of glory and it is to steer your heart to the one who is ultimate in glory. Everything in creation is to point you to the one who is ultimate in glory. You're glory junkies and so am I. Pastor Mike, why then is the world in such a mess? I mean, let's say all this is true and I get all this. Why then is the, the world in such a mess? Put up that Romans verse, Romans 3.23, not the Romans 1. Do the Romans 3.23, says this. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When the world settles for anything less than the glory of God, the world is in a mess. And by the way, you and I have an enemy. You can read all about him in Ezekiel 36. Who his job, Satan, is to cause you to pursue and seek after things of lesser glory. His job is to cause you to pursue murky, dirty water instead of the pure living water of Christ. That's what he does. He's a glory robber. He's a glory stealer. Almost done. A few more and we're done. Okay, well, I, I get some of that. What, why, why is the world in such a mess? And another reason, and this one's not on the screen, I'll just read this. It says, that in the minds of some... The God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The prayer for some of your friends, the prayer for some of you in this room, and that's why we said it at the beginning of this, is that maybe this morning, maybe over the next week, God in His grace would open your eyes and you would see. What would I see? The Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean a vision. I mean the Spirit of God would open your heart to realize the greatest thing that gives life is Jesus and Jesus only. Christ. But there is an enemy who is blinding the eyes of the unbelieving. God, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? John 1.14. Read this very quickly. It says, And the Word became flesh. That's Jesus. We dwelled, he dwelled among us and we saw His what? Glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is the clearest representation of the glory and the greatness of God? Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Reveals the glory of God. Why did you redeem then, Lord? Why do you, why do you save us? Why do you redeem us? Why am I a child of God? Here's what it says. I'll read Psalm 79. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name and deliver us and forgive us of our sins for your name's sake. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, talking of you. If you are a child of God and you know Christ, here it is. Why? To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his what? You are a glory bearer as a redeemed human being bought by Christ, now partakers of the glory of God. And you know what you're going to do forever and ever and ever and ever and ever according to the book of Ephesians? If you know God, you're going to be a trophy of the grace of God. Why would God take me 
Why would God take you who does not seek Him, does not seek truth, goes my own way, really worships myself? Why would He pluck me out of the fire and give me life? Why would He do that? One reason, for His glory. That the world and the angels would look on and go, it doesn't make sense except what a God. What a God. Finally, Lord, what are you doing in my life right now? And we're finished. In fact, the team can come on up and just begin to play. We're going to move into response time. Some of the members of the praise team want to come up. All right, God, what are you doing in my life right now if you're a child of God? If you know Christ, here's what God is doing in your life right now today. Put up 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We read it earlier, but all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. As you walk with Christ, as you behold the beauty of Christ in His Word, as we gather and we worship Christ, you are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. He is making you more and more and more like Jesus. That's what He's doing. He'll use everything. He'll use every situation. He will use every difficulty to complete that why because that gives him ultimate glory and the world sees in you living water is he ever going to finish is the work ever going to be completed well there is a day coming the bible says when christ colossians chapter 3 when christ is revealed when he returns in all of his glory then you child of god are going to be revealed in glory with him that's not a place that's a quality of life that you're going to be made like the son of god forever and ever and ever not god humanity but that you will be the trophy of the grace and the mercy and the glory of god forever and ever and ever and ever why does god do what he does he does what He does for His own sake and for His glory because there is nothing greater in the universe than God Himself. Would you bow your head for just a minute here this morning? Our team just continues to play. They're going to sing over you in just a minute. I just want you to wrestle with a couple things right there in your seat and then we're going to sing out. The Bible says whether we eat whether we drink, whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. Now there's some things in your life right now that do not make sense and you're wrestling to get answers. Maybe the answer this morning is for you. God is doing it for His glory. Maybe you're here this morning and you've... Maybe the scales fell from your eyes for the first time and you realize, I've been drinking dirty water my whole life. Jesus is living water. Life, purpose, meaning, joy. I invite you this morning right there in your seat to call out to the Lord Jesus. Jesus, I need you. You are life giver. I turn from my own way. I turn from my own sin and receive you as Savior, Lord, King, Christ. Transform me from the inside out. Maybe some of you, your worldview has changed this morning and you realize God does what He does ultimately for His own glory. What do we do? We praise Him. We thank Him. We worship Him. 
Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for the book of Ezekiel. Thank you for the gathering of your people. God, guide us now to sing of your great worth. To walk out of here realizing we exist. Our purpose is found in the greatness and the glory of God. We love you. Thank you for letting us come and drink from the well of living water. In your name.